How you doing this morning? Fantastic. My name is Rob Stinnett, as you just saw there. Um, Pastor Ross is out today, and so I get the pleasure of sharing with you all, and I am excited. You ready to open the scriptures? Yeah. All right. If you want to follow along today, our ushers have message notes. They're a great way to kind of follow along with what we're talking about, have all the scriptures there as well. Um, and uh, so you can get one of those. They have pens if you need them also. All right. Well, I want to share with you kind of to frame today. I'm going to talk about John 13, but to frame this message, I need to like share with you an experience that happened to me this summer. And to make that experience make sense, I have to confess something to all of you. And my confession is this. I am a bad gift giver. I'm really bad at it. Of the five love languages, it is my worst love language. It's very difficult for me. Every Christmas is a bit of a crisis for me. I walk into the mall, and I don't know if you've ever done this. You kind of walk into the mall. I'm thinking of a gift for my wife, and I'm like, kind of walk inside the mall. It may look something like this, and I'm there, and I'm like, I know one of these stores has something that my wife will want, but I have no idea what it is. And so I just kind of wander around the mall for a couple hours, like not quite sure what to give. And then I get frustrated. I go home, and I'm like, you know what? Mall, what am I doing? This is 2018. I'll go on to Amazon.com, kind of look for it, look for the perfect gift. I'm like, there's got to be like some robots on Amazon or something that knows what my wife wants. And so I'll kind of type in like, what does my wife want for Christmas? <laughs> Not a very helpful search, by the way. Not very helpful. I'll, I'll type that in and it'll give me like maybe a candle or maybe like slippers or like some jewelry that's not quite right. And so I'm like, ah, that's not it. I want to do like a big gift. I want to do something meaningful. I've always, I see these commercials and I'm always want to be like that husband. I don't know if you've ever seen these commercials, but there's that husband who goes and it's like Christmas morning and the kids are playing by the tree and the wife's like making cookies and that sort of thing. And he comes out and he's like, hey, I think there's a deer outside. And they're like, oh, really? And they're all in like turtlenecks. And they kind of like <laughs> prance outside and they open the door and it's snowing outside. And right there is a Lexus with a brand new bow. <laughs> and they all hug and they're crying. And she's like, thank you, it's perfect. I've never done that. <laughs> never, not once. Two reasons. One, there's not like the snow falling in Austin. So it's not quite the same. And two, like I can't quite afford like a new Lexus to give to my wife. And it's not quite the same when I'm like, hey kids, I think there's a deer outside and we all walk out and there's like an iPhone cable with a bow on it. And I'm like, Merry Christmas. <laughs> it's just not quite the same effect. And so I've always wanted to give like that big meaningful gift, but gift giving is tricky for me. Well, one time a few years ago, I did give one of the gifts I'm most proud of. And this was Christmas of uh, 2015 and was there and I had my wife like open this thing up and I knew that she loves France. She loves all things French. She studied French. She speaks French. She went to a grad school in Paris and so she loves it and really wants to return. So I really wanted to give her a trip to France, but I knew that we couldn't afford it that Christmas. So I, o I had her open up a little thing and it was a bank account. And she's like, oh, what is this? And it was a bank account with a couple of, couple of hundred bucks in it. And I said, hey, this bank account, what we're going to do is every, I've set it up for us. And every time we swipe our credit card, it puts one, or our debit card, it puts $1 from our checking account into this little account. And we'll go, and if we do this for a couple of years, we can actually save up and go to France. And so we went, we put a little bit of money in it, and we would swipe our card, and just little by little, over a couple of years, we saved up. And this summer, we took our 15th anniversary trip to France, all the way across, and it was incredible. 
incredible. But I want you all to experience what life was like for me in France, to actually see what it was like. So I'm going to have my beautiful wife come up here. Everyone say, hi, Sarah. This is my wife, Sarah, and yeah, give her a hand. Welcome her. And so uh, this may surprise some of you. Uh, I am not fluent in French. And so uh, she is, though. And so a lot of times, if we needed to communicate with someone, I would have to have her translate for me. So I'd meet someone very nice from France, and I would tell them, hello, my name is Rob Stinnett. Bonjour, je m'appelle Rob Stinnett. I love your country. It is very beautiful. Moi, j'adore la France. Elle est très beau. There are lavender fields and cafes and little people with berets. Il y a les champs de lavande et les cafés, les gens avec des petits berets, les chapeaux. And uh, we love just traveling around, going on the road and seeing all these incredible towns that you have here in France. Nous adorons voyager partout dans tous les petits villages et les villes pour voir tout ce qu'il y a ici en France. And the cheese is excellent. Et le fromage est super bon. En fait, il y a le fromage qui vient du lait du brebis, du vient du lait de la vache et aussi du chèvre. Oh, le chèvre, c'est bon. She let me know that you can't just say the cheese is good. You got to go on and on about it. <laughs> and so she helped me be culturally sensitive as well. And sometimes I would just be sitting there at a cafe or a restaurant or we had stayed at a bed and breakfast and so stayed with different people from France and she would speak to them and I would sit here like this. Ah oui, nous sommes les Américains. En fait, on habite au Texas. Ça ne veut pas dire qu'on est les cowboys parce qu'on est tous différents ici au Texas. Donc il faut savoir que tout le monde n'est pas pareil. Comme ici en France, vous n'êtes pas tous avec les berets, n'est-ce pas? I think there was a Texas and a cowboy in there. <laughs> and so Good, like, right? <laughs> so that's all I got. And so she would translate all those things for me. Give her a big hand. <laughs> she, she, she would translate for me, and, but a lot of times it was there, and she wasn't translating because it was just easier for people to speak to her. And so the French people would go and talk with her, and I just would kind of sit there, and they would have these like interesting conversations, and I was just the pretty one who would just kind of nod like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> I was a trophy husband. And so uh, we were there, and, and I felt like at, at first it was kind of fun, but after we were there for a solid two weeks, and after, you know, Day eight, day nine, day ten, I was sort of like, hey, I have something to contribute to the conversation as well. I'm interesting. I'm fun. I have interesting things to say. And it felt kind of isolating to not be able to talk in that way. And I remember as we were going there, we stayed at this other bed and breakfast, and there was a guy there who spoke English. And I could go, and when you haven't been around an English speaker for a long time, and you find someone who speaks your native language, all of a sudden, like, everything he said, I was like, tell me more. I was just like... <laughs> <laughs> the most boring things. He was talking about his shoes, and I was like, that is fascinating. <laughs> I mean, it was like, it, I was, it was just water to my soul, and we actually talked about basketball, and we talked about the World Cup, and we, I was actually in France during the World Cup when France won the World Cup. It, it, yeah, it was insane, by the way, uh, to see a whole country, like, celebrating and all that sort of stuff, and so we talked about all those things, but having someone speaking to me in English was so meaningful to me. I, was, I forgot like how much I was longing just for basic human communication. And I realized during that trip that there is a basic human need to feel understood. There's this basic human need to understand someone else. And this message series is called How to Survive a Bad Day. And I find a lot of times when we're in the heart and we're in the midst of our bad day, what we want is just people to understand us. We just want someone to understand us. 
And I, I, I found her on that trip. It was so amazing. If I found someone who spoke English, it was, like, it was like a treasure. It was so beautiful. And then I come back to Austin, and you get used to it, and you just kind of tune someone out. And you take that so much for granted of like how meaningful it is to actually be able to speak to someone. And it made me wonder, what is the language that we can actually speak to someone, and it really is meaningful in the same way those English connections felt to me in France? And that's what I want to talk about today. And to really unpack this, you can open your Bibles to John chapter 13. We're going to talk about this passage here. We were just talking about communion, and that comes later in this passage, the Lord's Supper. But earlier on, it says this, starting at verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And, and underline that, the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So let's stop right there for a moment. Jesus knew where all the chess pieces were. He knew everything. He knew that the time had come to leave this world. He knew that Satan had corrupted in his inner circle. The 12 people he's closest with, Satan had corrupted one of those guys. And he knew this, that God had given him power. And so with all this knowledge, with seeing kind of where everything lays out, knowing that he was about to go into a really, really difficult day, what does Jesus do? Well, look at verse 4 and we'll see what he does. It says this, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now think about this. This is Jesus. He had never done this before for the disciples. And so he was going and he's like, okay, dinner's over. I'm going to wash your feet right now. This was a job that was normally reserved for the lowest servant in the house. Has anyone ever worked in a restaurant before? Restaurant? Okay, if you've worked in a restaurant before, I used to be a dishwasher. And dishwasher was the feet washer of the restaurant business. It is the absolute lowest. You were sent in the back corner. Nobody really talks to you. You smell your food. You're kind of doing all that sort of stuff. And my very first job, I was a dishwasher. And I learned, I was like, whatever job no one else wanted to do, they gave that job to the dishwasher. I was the lowest of low servants. And so I learned that in that first job. And that's what Jesus is doing right now. He's doing something kind of shocking, which is like, hey, I'm going to go into the lowest position and I'm going to serve you as the lowest of servants. And this was probably shocking for the disciples. And, and put this in today's context. Imagine it's Sunday morning, walk in here, and Pastor Ross kind of looks at the front row or looks at this row over here, and he's like, okay, I want all of you to take off your shoes. I'm now going to wash your feet. You'd be like, what? It would be like a, no, you can't, no, that's weird. My feet are dirty, too far, too close, boundaries. No, this is not happening. <laughs> And so, but this is what Jesus is doing. He was smashing through those boundaries. And it was not only weird now, it was weird then. Peter, when it, it kind of goes through the different disciples, and then he comes to Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied in verse 7, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, now, a person who needs a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. That was why he said not everyone was clean. So Jesus has 
this whole kind of back monologue going on in his head because he knows what Judas is about to do and Jesus knows what he's about to go through. But at that moment, he's not focused on that. He's focused on Peter and he says, Peter, no, you don't need me to wash all of you. Just let me wash your feet. And Peter gets kind of beat up for this response. But to be honest, I love it. I love that Peter says, God, if this is from you, then I want all of it. Whatever's from you, I want every part of it. And even though Peter didn't quite understand what was going on, that heart and that attitude would serve him well later in life. But Jesus was saying, no, I'm not here to wash you. This is not about that. I'm here to actually be a servant. And he was telling all of his disciples that. Jesus, Jesus is showing Peter and the disciples how he treated the denier and the betrayer. And see, this is a big vulnerable principle for dealing with a bad day, to act in faith and humility. Sometimes that's how we have to walk as people of God. There's this woman, uh, Jackie Pullinger, and she is an incredible woman if you've ever heard her speak. She spent over half a century and she's been in every type of situation working with every type of person. She's worked with prostitutes, heroin addicts, gang members, and she'll go around churches and she has this quote that I love and she says this, God wants us to have soft hearts and hard feet. The trouble with so many of us is that we have hard hearts and soft feet. You see, we keep our hearts hard, but we don't put our feet in action. And so she's challenging us here. Okay, you need to put your feet in action. You need to go into different places. Get your feet dirty and keep your heart soft. Let's keep reading this passage. When he has finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. You see, Jesus is responding to his bad day by serving others. He's about to have a lot of pain, a lot of sorrow, and agony. And he's telling them, listen, in anything that you're facing, stop being impressed with yourself. Stop trying to control everything. Stop being selfish. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Remember, what's important is that you serve one another. And this isn't the first time he said this. This is something that he said quite a bit in his ministry. Just a few weeks earlier in a Matthew verse, or sorry, Matthew chapter 20, starting verse 26, uh, he's, he asks the servant, he says, hey, who, or they come to him and they say, hey, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? And he kind of explains this different idea to him. And in verse 20, he says, 26, he says, not with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many. Jesus said, he didn't come. I didn't come here to become a king for all of you to serve me. I came here to be a leader. And by being a leader, I'm going to serve all of you. And that's the way that you should serve others. And so this big idea is actually something that can be a paradigm shift of how to survive a bad day. And so I want to explain kind of three points of how this fleshes out. Three points. Point number one is serving takes the focus off our problems. It takes the focus off our problems. There's something freeing about helping someone else. When you're facing something that's like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. This seems too much for me. I don't even know how to deal with this. When you actually take the focus off your problems and begin to help and serve something else, there's something actually that's freeing about this. And like I've said, Jesus models this not just at the Last Supper, but I go, I, I direct this show called The Thorn, and uh, it's a big Easter production that kind of goes through the life of Jesus in the last week of his life. 
And as I direct that and make all of that happen, I'm always kind of shocked as I go through the gospel story and go through the crucifixion story, how Jesus, as he's going through this trial, he's going through this extreme situation, his focus is rarely on himself, what's going on. He's mostly focused on pastoring and shepherding others. He says this, he says uh, to Peter in the denial, he's there and he reaches out to Peter and he's concerned about what Peter's going through, even as he's being put on trial. When he's hanging on the cross and going through that situation, his thoughts and mind is on the thief who's on the cross right there. When he's in front of Pilate and Pilate's accusing him and scolding him, his eyes are on Pilate and he says, who do you say that I am? He's reaching out. He's trying to reason with Pilate. He's not judging him. He's trying to serve Pilate even in that moment. He's hanging on the cross and he's thinking about his own mother. What's going to happen to mom? And then he looks at the apostle John and he says, John, you got to take care of my mom. He's going through this bad day, maybe the worst day in human history. And as he's going through this day, he's always focused on the friends and the people in his life. He's focused on strangers that he's never met before. He's focused on shepherding others. Jesus is shepherding all these people as he suffers. And I wonder as I read this story, like, how is this possible? How is he able to have this attitude? And I found in my own life, the answer is this. The secret to serving is knowing who you are serving. If you're serving just out of duty, out of obligation, out of manipulation, this will happen. I've seen it. You'll get burnt out, disappointed, frustrated. But if you're serving God by serving people, you'll find strength and joy. You see, we receive greater joy when we know why we're serving and who we're serving. Those are the two things that we have to keep in front of us. This is my reason why. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And this is who I'm serving. Yes, I'm serving the people around me. But by doing this, I'm taking care of the least of these. And I'm doing what God has commanded me. And I'm serving God by doing these things. Point number two in idea two is this. Serving is how we love others. The Bible says this. We're supposed to love our neighbors. This is my commandment that you love one another. And we, this word love is being thrown around a lot these days. We've got to love people. We've got to love them. Let's just love other people. And uh, when we start to break down the word, it gets pretty interesting. One of the most interesting ways to break it down is uh, the book, The Five Love Languages. Anyone know that book or read that book, Five Love Languages? Okay, my five love language people, go ahead and shout them out. Give me a couple of the love languages, some of the love language. Let's get all five. Acts of service. Good. All right, next. Words of affirmation. Yep, that's two. Quality time. That's three. Yep. Personal touch, yep, touch, and gifts, gifts. Those are the five love languages, and so they lay them all out, and these are five practical, tangible ways that we can treat people that we love. But when we take about, when we take the five love languages, what's so interesting, when we think about our neighbors, we think about our strangers and different things like that, and we're like, okay, I'm going to apply love to them and be loving towards them. Most of them we cannot do of the five love languages to a stranger, if you try to spend quality time with a stranger, it normally does not feel like love. Just go in an elevator and that does not feel like love. It just feels like an awkward, long ride. And so it's hard, like, once you get friends and family, that quality time really matters. When you first meet someone, it doesn't feel like this is a love language. Gifts. Gifts maybe can feel like a love language occasionally, but for the most part, if you just walked up to someone on the street and said, hey, I have a new iPhone 10 for you and I just want to give it to you, they're going to be like, oh man, where's the cameras? Or they're going to be like, is this thing hot? Like, what's going on? And they're just not going to, they're not going to accept it as love. They're going to think like, what's the catch? 
what's going on. When we give gifts in this culture today, there's kind of a reluctance of like, oh no, they want something from me. And so that's not received as love. There's, there's kind of a wall up there. Uh, the next love language is touch. Can you touch a complete stranger and it feels like love? <laughs> no! <laughs> the answer one chapel is no, absolutely not. You know, it, do, it doesn't. <laughs> Everyone's like, this just got weird. No, I know. Like, don't, don't do it. That is not the love language you should be giving to other strangers. Fourth is words of affirmation. Words like, yeah, maybe, but for the most part, if you're at a stoplight and you tell someone next to you, like, hey, why don't you roll down your window? And they kind of look at you and you're like, hey, I just love you and you're amazing. They'll be like, all right. And they're <laughs> like, they're just going on. Like, they won't receive that as love of that love language. So now we get to the fifth love language, acts of service. Acts of service. And I would argue acts of service is the best way to show love in a world that so desperately needs it. I found a couple of examples where this really happened in our life, just a few practical things the last two weeks. One is when Sarah and I were in France, we were driving through, we were by this kind of big castle, and we were there, and we see this young couple kind of stranded by the side of the road, hoods up, that sort of thing, and so I pull over, I'm trying to speak, he's speaking Italian, I can't even understand, maybe it was French, I don't know, he's, <laughs> I, I can't understand what he's saying, he's kind of saying all this sort of stuff to me, and I'm like, like, if you've come to a place in your life where Rob Stennett is the mechanic that God has sent you, you are in a lot of trouble. Like, this is a, <laughs> you're having a really bad day, I can promise that. And so we, my wife is laughing harder than all of you, because she knows this is true. And so we go, he's just there, like, totally stranded, but I see these car after car kind of just passing this, and I'm like, why is nobody helping him? And so I was like, okay, Lord, no one else is helping them, I'm going to go help them. And so I go, we take out some jumper cables, I'm like, this is like the one car thing that I know how to do, and so I'm like, I hope this goes okay, and so hook it all up, make sure it's there. The, the, the young guy has no idea, he, he's looking at the cables like, I don't know what those are, and so I go, I hook it up, and he turns uh, the key, or actually his fiance, I think, turns the key, and the car starts, and they start jumping up and down, and they're cheering, and they're hugging me, and they're saying thank you, I think, and so, uh, and they're just so moved by it. It was a moment, and they felt loved. They felt taken care of by that simple act of service to them. I didn't speak the same language with them, could not communicate, but the acts of service was that thing that, like the piece of paper, it broke through, and they're like, oh, I see that I'm being cared about. I see God in this simple moment. And that's what acts of service can do. I was also in uh, California this week, and I was walking around and, uh, with a couple of friends, and we had just finished a shoot, and this lady comes up to us, and she's uh, crying, and she's completely upset, and she's like, please, no one will help me. Can you help me? And she's like, yeah, what is it? And uh, she's like, I left my phone in my Uber, and so I left my phone in my Uber, and now I can't get a hold of it, whatever else. I was like, well, have you tried to call it? And she's like, yeah, I found someone let me use their phone, and I tried to call it, but it didn't work. I don't know what to do. And so uh, I opened my Find My iPhone app because I'm kind of an expert at losing my phone. So <laughs> I opened that app, and I let her actually sign into my app, and uh, she signed in and then actually paged her own phone, and then it had fallen up under the seat. It was, under, it was on silent, so it paged the phone, and the Uber driver actually found it and like went and put a little message on it and called me back and then we kind of orchestrated for her to get her phone back and she's like wow she's like people kept yeah you can cheer for that that was awesome that was a good thing to do <laughs> but what struck me was she was like 
people, like, when I asked for help, most people were like, no, 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 I'm busy, I can't, I can't, like, seemed overwhelmed by just something that took me five minutes. She's like, I've been trying for five hours to get my phone back, and you're the first person who's really been able to help me. And so it's amazing. We live in a world where everyone's walking by that's saying, no, 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 I'm too busy. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. We have to be the people that say, yes, okay, you are worth five minutes. God thinks that you're worth five minutes. And so that is the way we have to live our lives. This is what this passage is talking about. And so we do these things, and we have to realize that, okay, serving, I know it's not easy. Trust me, I know it's not easy. But the Bible says this, the joy of the Lord is our strength. God's joy, his pleasure is in us when we serve, and it's what gives us strength to keep serving. And both those stories, I felt it. I felt like this is, this is what Jesus is talking about. And there's lots of other stories and there's different things, but there's something that happens that it's like whatever you're thinking about in your day, everything gets completely shifted and you're like, okay, I'm looking at someone else. What do they need? How can I help them? And it's amazing how it shifts your heart in any sort of situation. Third idea is this. Serving makes us a part of something greater. Serving makes us a part of something greater. So as a pastor's kid, my dad is a pastor and uh, grew up, he was pastoring at a church, and then he went out to uh, actually start his own church. I had no idea what a church plant was. I thought it was actually a church with a plant growing out of it. He's like, hey, we're doing a church plant. I was eight years old. I was like, what is a church plant? That doesn't make any sense to me. And so we started that, and he's like, no, we're going to do this. And so we met in a little elementary school, and I was eight-year-old. I was Robbie back then. I wasn't even Rob. And so little eight-year-old Robbie would go and would take folding chairs every morning, 6 a.m., and I would unstack those chairs and, like, set up for service. And I learned, like, okay, that's what being a part of church means. And then uh, as I got older, I had a lot of different experiences in church. I was actually a creative director at a church called New Life Church in Colorado Springs. That's where I met Pastor Ross. And so uh, it was it's an incredible church. It's 10,000 members, and it has all these sort of resources. It has fans. It has a hospitality team. So at New Life, if I needed a room set up, I just kind of filled out a piece of paper, and I had a hospitality team of 10 people, like, there, ready to help and uh, fill things out. And so I got to one chapel, and I was like, hey, Ross, where's your paperwork for uh, the hospitality team? And he's like, it's right here. You can fill that out. And he's like, you can give that to yourself because you are the hospitality team. And I was like, <laughs> I was like oh, okay, that's great. But what I learned quickly here is that one chapel is a church with serving culture. It is a church that was uh, started just like my dad's church as a church plant in a movie theater where it's like, hey, this is not going to be easy, but we are people who love each other and love God. And when we have those two things, what we can accomplish is absolutely incredible. Right. And so well, people ask me, what's your job around one chapel? Like, what do you do? And I say, you know, I do whatever it takes. I'll, I'll be serving on the cameras. I'll be praying with people. I'll visit people in the hospital. I'll move signs around. I'll make coffee sometimes. I'll do whatever it takes. And the reason that I do all those things I serve is because I've seen the way that all of you serve. I've seen the way that all of you uh, give of your time and your energy, and that matters to me, and it inspires me. And so I see it every Sunday. Every Sunday that we get together, I see acts of service, and I see love coming from those acts of service. I see love coming from the smiles that are there from the greeters handing out name tags at the door. I see love from those who make coffee. Coffee is love. It's like love in liquid hot form. It's amazing. I see love. I have a, a 
four kids, and they're incredible, but if they were in here right now, you would know it. They would make themselves known. And so I have these four amazing daughters, but they are all in a kids ministry right now where they're worshiping, where they're opening the scriptures. My kids are telling about me about what they're learning about the Bible, and that happens because people are like, your kids are worth serving. Our kids are worth serving. And so people give of their time to serve in that sort of way. This is a church that brings meals to people when they are sick, brings meals to family when they have a new baby. That's what we believe in our church. We are a church that serves by opening up our homes with Supper for Sixes. We open up our homes for different groups all throughout the week. This is a church where people go through Catalyst, our discipleship program, and they say, okay, I want to learn to be a disciple. And then they become a group leader, and they're saying, okay, I want to learn how to make disciples. And they go through those things. Serving is a culture of our church. And I want to tell you this. You want to always be a church where serving is in the culture of the church. That's the type of church you want to be planted in. Because this is what the mission that Jesus gave to us. I love what he says in Matthew 20. The Son of Man did not come to, serve, to be served, but to serve. It's so paradigm shifting. It's unlike any other king who's ever walked this earth. And so I want to challenge us today to be people who serve. There's lots of opportunities here at One Chapel. We're having a Team One meeting next Sunday. If you're part of the team, come join us Sunday night, 5.30. We're going to have a luau. We're going to have a pig. It'll be delicious and fun. But you can also jump onto a team. It's a great chance to get connected, to be a part. We're serving next Saturday at an elementary school called Sunset Valley Elementary School. It's this elementary school that we've adopted, we've taken care of. Uh, we actually gave every teacher there a bonus last Christmas. I got to talk to the principal about uh, right at the end of the school year, and she was uh, actually on maternity leave at the time. And she was like, I, she's like, what happened to me was I had phone call after phone call after phone call on maternity leave of like, oh man, another bad day, another bad day. And so she got a phone call from the vice principal who said, okay, I've got something that I've got to talk to you about. So she goes, she's like, all right, what's this going to be? And she gets a phone call and she's like, you are not going to believe what one chapel did. And she's crying as she's telling me this story. And so she says, one chapel is taking care of us so much. And so we're, Johnny Spiegelmeyer and a team of us are going next Saturday to actually serve that elementary school. We're going to do landscaping, different things to tell that elementary school, hey, what you do matters. This school matters. You guys matter. We're partnering with Austin Disaster Relief Network. They're an incredible organization who actually, they're, they're churches. It's not, it's not government mandated. It's actually founded on Austin churches who get together, who say, all right, during times of crisis, we want to be people who go out and uh, make a difference in some of the worst times and floods and disasters and that sort of thing. We are going to be people who serve and show the love of Jesus in that way. Sometimes the best way to get out of your bad day is to help someone else make their day better. And so we're providing all those practical examples. I want to challenge you. Find one of those examples and get involved. Be a servant. But also be a servant in your own life. What if this next week every one of us went to work and actually served our bosses like they were Jesus? What if this week you served your kids like they were little Jesuses? Now, I, I know that's a stretch. Some of you are saying, yeah, right, you don't know my kids. But no, what if we looked at them this way? These are God's creatures, God's creation. What if our kids, what if every student went into school this, this year, going into school this fall, and served their teachers and their classmates like they were actually serving Jesus? 
This is the passion of serving others. This is the love that you have for God, that when you're like, okay, God, I'm so grateful for what you've done for me. I want to serve. And for me, I'm telling this whole story. I'm talking about serving. And this message isn't theory to me. It's reality. I, uh, we started this series uh, right at the end of summer camp in June, and I'll never forget, uh, it was a Saturday night, I was up at summer camp doing video, uh, taking some videos so we could have a recap video, and I was, my two daughters were with me, and so I said, okay, we're going to go home, so uh, Claire and Abby both got in the back of the car, we're driving down the road near uh, Lake Travis, and as we're driving there, all of a sudden, right in the, it's like kind of thick brush, and right in the shol- shoulder, all of a sudden, a deer kind of pops out, and boom, my car clips it. My kids start crying all the way. They're like, Dad, you killed Bambi. And I was like, I know. <laughs> and they were really upset at me. And I was like, I mean, it was just, boom, it happened. I talked to the park ranger. I was like, oh, it did major damage to my car. Finally, I somehow got my car home. The next morning, Pastor Rent was going to be on sabbatical, so I was running things at One Chapel Kyle. And so I was like, okay, i got to be down there bright and early because I'm in charge to make sure everything goes well. That next morning, I'd get up, get ready to go, turn the key in my car. It won't even start now. And so I was like, oh no, we had to get our car jumped, had to get it. I finally got down there. I was like, okay, I'm here at church, ready to go. Next thing I know, um, they go, it's supposed to be a live stream where we're, uh, Pastor Ross is teaching from one chapel. Austin, we're going to do a live stream. The technical team tells me the stream isn't working today. And so uh, you may have to speak. I haven't prepared anything, <laughs> but the series is called How to Survive a Bad Day. And I was like, I'm here, man. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm surviving. Like, I don't know how. I'll let you know when the day's over, like, how I survived this. And so I was there. I was living that reality. And then we went. I've kind of survived through that. I actually just got my car back. I was there. We had an incredible time in France. And I felt like, okay, my life is okay. Things are back together. Like, things are finally a new normal. We can breathe. We had a great trip in France. Like, things are happy. Things are great. And then last night, I got a phone call. And I got a call from my mom. My dad loves motorcycles. He loves them, loves them. It's one of his favorite things in the world. And so he'll ride them all around. He uh, takes them all over the place, does it, every, does it almost every weekend. And so he was just exiting off the interstate, and there was some extra gravel over there. So as he's exiting off the interstate, his motorcycle goes, slips, falls. He's there in the middle of the road, and his bike actually spins out. He's lying there in two lanes of traffic on the interstate, People have to get him out of the car and get him out of the way to help him. He gets rushed to the hospital. He's broken eight ribs, and he's laying in a hospital bed right now. Today, our prayer is that his ribs heal and that his breathing can be deep enough that he can't get pneumonia because with broken ribs, you can get pneumonia, and that can be fatal. So as I'm here this morning, Pastor Ross is gone, and I'm here, and I'm doing one chapel things, and I'm serving, but I'm walking proof of this because I'm walking through my own bad day right now. This isn't theory to me. This isn't like nice things to say on a Sunday. This is something that I'm living with my life. And I say this not because it's like, oh, I'm doing such a great thing. I say this because I believe in the value of this. I believe how life-changing it is to always be living our life serving and taking care of others. And so I want to invite everyone to actually stand up right now. And we're going to close today's message uh, with just doing a couple things. One is, I know a lot of times during the message and as I'm sharing this story and sharing about my life, if you've 
if God's done something in your life today and you're saying, okay, I'm, I'm hearing about Jesus and I really want to make a decision for Jesus. I either want to make a first-time decision or I'm really ready to come back to him. We have these connection cards and you can take those connection cards, you can fill one out and just mark down what your decision is. Another practical thing that you can do is we have Team One cards and they're just different ways that we uh, can serve together. And so if you're saying, Rob, okay, I'm new around here or it's been a while since I've served or whatever else, but I'm ready to jump in and serve, you can fill out one of those cards and just jump in. It's one of the simple, practical ways that you can really be involved in the life of the church. So I'm gonna pray, and then after I pray, what we're actually gonna do is we're gonna pass the offering buckets. This is just a simple way that you can go and uh, give here at One Chapel. That you, uh, you're giving, I wanna let you know, it makes everything that we do possible. Every piece of giving goes, uh, first 10% goes straight into missions, and it goes into local works all across the city to make this a better place. Your giving makes everything that we do possible here at One Chapel, and so we have buckets. For those of you who want to give in the bucket, you can also just give at onechapel.com and uh, you can set up giving there. It's really simple. Sarah and I set up recurring giving. But I think for all of us, this idea of serving and giving, it's just ways that we can say, okay, God, I'm not in control of my own life. I'm not in control. I'm giving control in you. I'm putting my trust in you. And in these bad days, the bad day that I'm having right now, I'm thinking about my dad. I'm like, okay, God, he's in Colorado. I'm right here. So my hands are open and I'm trusting in you. And that's why we do what we do. So we're going to take a few moments here. I'm going to pray and then we're going to rejoice and sing this last song together. So Lord Jesus, actually, if you would, just go ahead and lift your hands wherever you're at. If you're comfortable with it, just lift your hands. Just a simple act of surrender saying, okay, I'm here with you, God. Lord Jesus, we lift our hands as a way of saying, we are not in control of our lives, Lord. We give our lives to you, Lord. We love you so much, and we do these acts of service, Lord. We pour out our lives, Lord, because we know it's only a small fraction of the way that you love and the way that you care for us, Lord. So I pray that you'd be in this place, you'd be in, this li you'd be in our lives, Lord, as we serve and as we give. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In your name, everyone said, 